Chapter 15 of The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by T.R. Love of Pleasant Hill, California. The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls by Elizabeth O'Neill. Chapter 15 Early Days of the Roman Empire The way in which the young Octavius took up Caesar's position and began to act at once as though he had a claim to be emperor shows how strong Caesar had already made his position. Octavius was a very handsome young man. There is still a bust of him in the British Museum in London, which shows that he had the features of Julius Caesar, but with a much softer and younger look. He showed himself a great man in the way in which he took up Caesar's work. Antonius did his best to keep him from seeming too important to the people, and for a time Octavius had to divide the empire with him. The murderers of Caesar and their party were hunted out, and hundreds of them killed. Octavius was far less merciful than Caesar to his countrymen. But when this was done, the jealousy between Octavius and Antonius showed itself plainly. Antonius, thinking all was safe, gave himself up to pleasure. In Egypt, he met Cleopatra, who had charmed Caesar some years before. But Antonius fell so much in love with her that he could not leave her, even when he knew Octavius was coming to fight him. He spent his days with Cleopatra, who sailed in the eastern Mediterranean in a ship coated with gold and with purple sails and oars of silver. When at last Antonius and Cleopatra did prepare a fleet to fight with that of Octavius, it was easily conquered, and the two fled back to Alexandria, Cleopatra's home. Octavius followed them, and Antonius, in despair, killed himself. When Cleopatra heard that Octavius meant to take her back to Rome to lead her in triumph through the streets, she too tried to kill herself. But Octavius was very anxious to show her in his triumph, and she was not allowed to have any weapon. She managed, however, to get a basket of beautiful ripe figs sent to her. This seemed quite harmless, and she was allowed to have them. But underneath them was an asp, a kind of small snake. Cleopatra knew that if it bit her, she would surely die, and when the time came, she put it on her bare arm and so killed herself. Two of her women's slaves, who were their mistress's favorites, killed themselves too. Octavius now made Egypt a Roman province. The First Roman Emperor When he got back to Rome, there was no longer anyone to take his empire from him. It was now that he was first called Augustus, and under him, now for the first time for years, there was peace in all parts of the great empire. Augustus loved peace, and he loved learning and poetry, too. He gathered scholars and poets round him. The greatest of all was the poet Virgil, who wrote the great poem called the Aeneid, one of the most wonderful poems ever written. 
the people who lived in the days of Augustus and the emperor himself were full of admiration for the great history of Rome. It was the emperor who asked the poet to write a long poem on the beginnings of its greatness. The Aeneid tells the story of the adventures of Aeneas, who the Romans believed was the son of the goddess Venus and Anchises and the ancestor of Julius Caesar and Augustus. Augustus, like Caesar, was head of the state and head of the army. The great empire, divided into provinces, was ruled by governors appointed by him, and every Roman citizen could appeal to the emperor. Julius Caesar had given the rights of Roman citizens to some of the people of Gaul, and later they were given to specially favored cities throughout the empire. The great roads which the Romans knew so well how to build had already begun to stretch out across the empire. The Roman legions were always marching along these roads. Colonies of Romans were sent to distant provinces, and messengers were constantly going to and from Rome and the provinces to let the emperor know what was happening in all parts of the empire. Roman civilization spread through the empire. Where there were already towns, the life there became Roman, and in a country like Britain, where there were hardly any towns, the Romans built new ones. All the towns in England, which have names ending with Chester, were built by the Romans. Chester is the later way of writing castra, the Roman word for camp. London was already in existence when a hundred years after Caesar's invasion, the Romans came really to conquer Britain, but York was founded by the Romans. When the emperor Claudius sent soldiers to conquer Britain a hundred years after Caesar's invasions, the Britons fought fiercely, and it was many years before the whole of Britain was conquered. Everyone knows the story of Caractacus, the brave British chief who was taken prisoner to Rome and spoke so bravely that the emperor set him free. Everybody knows, too, the story of Boadicea, the British warrior queen who fought as bravely as any man against the Romans, who had whipped her and insulted her daughters, and how, when she knew she could not win, she poisoned herself and her two daughters, and so escaped from the Romans, whom she hated. But Britain became a Roman province, and was covered over with the strong walls and the towns which the Romans knew so well how to build. In most of these towns set up by the Romans, they built great baths and theaters so that they might live and amuse themselves as their countrymen did in Italy. Even though the world was growing more civilized, the old terrible fights between gladiators or the hunting of wild beasts to death in the circus were the chief amusements of the Romans, and they spread them all over the empire. For hundreds of years, nothing changed very much in the empire except that sometimes bad emperors came after good ones. But even this did not make a very great difference except to the people in Rome, for there were now a great number of officers and servants who did the emperor's work for him. It was while Augustus was still emperor that Jesus Christ was born in the kingdom of Judea 
ruled by King Herod, but dependent on Rome. At the time, no one noticed it except a few poor shepherds and the wise men of the east. King Herod, who had been warned of the birth of a king, thought he was killed with the other babies of Judea when he ordered all the boys under two years old to be killed. But later, men knew that this was the greatest thing that has ever happened in the world, and all the things which have happened since are counted from that date, so that the letters A.D., meaning Anno Domini, or the year of our Lord, are used instead of B.C., which stand for before Christ, in giving dates after this time. The Coming of Christianity When the Christian religion began to be preached by the apostles and those whom they taught about our Lord, the fact that all parts of the Roman Empire were so united made it possible for the faith to spread more quickly. It was along the great roads of the empire that the preachers traveled, and it was chiefly in the towns that they stayed to convert and baptize the people. St. Paul traveled on these roads in Asia Minor and Greece, preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles, as the Jews called those who were not Jews, too. Everyone knows how Paul had first been against the Christians and then had been converted, and how he understood much better than the other followers of our Lord that the gospel was to be preached to all nations and not only to the Jews. St. Paul spent his life, as he tells us himself, in journeying from place to place, telling about the teaching of our Lord. In Athens and Corinth, which are still great cities, but where people now lived bad lives, he made converts to Christianity. In Ephesus, he was nearly killed by the crowd when he preached against their idolatrous worship of Diana of the Ephesians. In the crowd were many men who lived by making images of the goddess, and they were angry for fear the people would no longer want those images. At Jerusalem, the Jews, who were still against our Lord, complained that Paul brought Greeks into the synagogue. The Roman governor was told that he disturbed the peace, but Paul, being a citizen of Tarsus, a place which had received the rights of Roman citizenship, appealed to Caesar. The emperors who were still of Caesar's family still kept this name. The emperor who was ruler after Augustus was his stepson Tiberius. Then came Claudius, and now Nero, the last emperor of this family, was ruling. St. Paul was taken to Rome, and though a prisoner, he was allowed to preach. He was given a house in Rome, but always had to go about chained by one hand to the soldier who had charge of him. The Cruel Emperor Nero St. Paul was very unfortunate in coming to Rome during the reign of Nero, who was one of the cruelest and most terrible men who have ever lived. When he was a young boy, he was bright and handsome, and a great favorite with the Roman people. He became emperor when he was seventeen years old, and in the next year he poisoned his brother Britannicus, for fear he might try to make himself emperor in his place. Later, when he wanted to marry a woman whom his mother Agrippina did not like, he made up his mind to kill his mother, 
too. He presented her with a beautiful ship with sails of silk, but it was so made that when it got out to sea, it would split in two. When his mother went on the ship, Nero kissed her with every sign of love, although he hoped he was sending her to her death. She was nearly drowned, but was saved by some fishermen, and then Nero had her stabbed to death. Nero spent his time in luxury and most terrible wickedness. He loved to hurt people. Suddenly, in the midst of all this, a great fire broke out in Rome, and almost the whole city was burned to the ground. People said that Nero had set the city on fire for his own amusement, and that while it burned, he stood on one of the hills outside Rome and sang verses from Homer on the burning of Troy. The tale may be true, for Nero seemed quite mad at times. But afterwards he grew frightened lest the people should turn against him, and so he said that it was the Christians, the people with the strange new religion, who had done this thing. And so he had the Christians of Rome hunted out from their quiet homes where they lived good and holy lives, spending much of their time in prayer. Nero thought he would kill the Christians and amuse the Roman people at the same time, so he had them tied to poles in the theater, wrapped in cloths, dipped in oil, and then set fire to them so that they burned like living torches. It was a dreadful sight, but Nero rode round the circus enjoying it until at last even the Roman people, used as they were to terrible sights of bloodshed, begged that it must stop. Paul was not among the Christians who were burned, but both he and St. Peter were killed soon after. St. Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, was allowed the honorable death of being beheaded, while St. Peter was crucified like his master. But before long, everyone grew tired of Nero. He was terribly vain and thought himself a great artist and poet. He became terribly ugly through eating and drinking too much, and all near him trembled at his anger, for it might at any moment mean death for them. He preferred to stay at Naples rather than Rome, and it was here that he heard that the generals of the army had risen against him, and that the Senate had condemned him to die. The Senate, of course, had now no power, but it suited the leaders of the rebellion to make use of them. There was nothing for Nero to do but kill himself. For a long time he held the dagger to his throat, too frightened to strike the blow, but a faithful servant, who saw that it was the easiest death for his master, gave his hand a sudden push, and so Nero died. In the next year four emperors succeeded one another, being put forward by the different parts of the army. Vespasian, the last of the four, was followed by his son Titus, who was famous for his great siege of Jerusalem, which destroyed that great city and put an end to the life of the Jews as a nation. The Jews had always hated the Roman rule, partly because, although the Romans tried not to interfere with the Jewish religion, yet they could not help doing so to a certain extent. But it was a mad thing for the Jews to rebel. 
Jerusalem was a wonderfully strong city with wall within wall, but Titus was determined to destroy it, and after a terrible siege, the town and the temple were burnt to the ground. A million Jews were killed, and a hundred thousand sold as slaves. After this, the Jews were scattered all over the world, and have never since had a country of their own. It was in the time of Titus, too, that the great cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum, two of the richest towns of Italy, were destroyed, but in another way. Pompeii stood at the foot of Mount Vesuvius and was like a smaller Rome with baths and theaters and many shops. The Romans used to go there to make holiday. Suddenly, with very little warning, the volcano became active, the earth shook, and then the burning lava poured out from the mountain and buried the cities. Some people got away, but many were buried under the lava. Some years ago, men began to dig out the buried cities and found them very little different from what they were in Roman days. Even the bodies of the people may be seen preserved by the layer of lava poured over them and lying in the positions of fright in which they died. After the death of Nero, the Christians had been left alone for a time. As a rule, the Romans did not interfere with the religion of the peoples they conquered. They set up temples to their own gods in the provinces, and very often the people worshipped them as well as their own. But the idea spread that the Christians were against the state, and then they would from time to time be asked to show honor to the gods of Rome as a proof that they were not. This they could not do, as they knew it was wrong to pretend to believe in these gods. Some emperors left the Christians alone, and they went on quietly converting others, some rich and some poor, bringing happiness for the first time into the lives of slaves, who now found a religion which said that all people were equal in the sight of God. In days of persecution, the Christians had to worship in secret. In Rome, they made those underground passages, which are now called the catacombs, and which we can still visit and see the graves of some of the martyrs. For here, the Christians of Rome buried their dead and held their services, especially in times of persecution. The bodies of the dead were placed on shelves opening into the wall, and a slab of stone or marble was then placed in front. Sometimes there is not any name or mark on these slabs, but often there is painted or cut the name of the person buried, and sometimes there are drawings or images such as the early Christians used. Sometimes there will be seen a palm, which may mean that the person buried there is a martyr. Often there is a fish, which was a sign much used by the early Christians. Often little vases or bottles, which have in them a red liquid dried up, have been found. People used to think that this was the blood of the martyrs, but it is now thought that it was the red wine used by the priest in saying mass at the tombs. The story of these martyrs makes us understand better than anything else the great change which the Christian religion had made in the lives of people everywhere. 
while many of those who were not Christians, especially the rich people, still lived the terrible lives of which Nero's gives us the worst example, and while many of the poorer people who were not Christians led bad lives too, the Christians showed a beautiful example of love and peace and courage. The Early Christian Saints and Martyrs It was a time of great saints. We can only mention one or two of these saints. There was Saint Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch in Syria. Under the Emperor Trajan, an order was given that everybody in all the provinces should make a sacrifice to the gods in honor of his having conquered and added Dacia, a new province across the Danube, to the empire. When the Christians of Antioch refused to do this, Trajan ordered that their bishop should be brought before him. He hoped to persuade him to worship the gods, but Ignatius refused and was sent to Rome. Here he was taken into the Colosseum, the great theater where the Roman games were held, and there he was torn to pieces before all the people and eaten by two hungry lions who were let loose upon him. Yet Trajan was not a bad man. Indeed, he was the first of five emperors who ruled from 96 A.D. to 180 A.D. and were called the good emperors. One of these, the great Marcus Aurelius, was so good and wise that in some ways he was almost a saint. He wrote a book of thoughts, which is read and considered very wonderful even now. But he did not understand the Christians, and the persecution went on under him also. It was under him that St. Cecilia, the patron saint of music, was put to death. She was a noble lady of Rome or Sicily who had become a Christian, and persuaded her husband to do so too. It was said that the executioner who was to behead her, seeing her so good and beautiful, trembled so much that he only wounded her, and she lay for three days before she died, singing all the time her praises to God. It was said afterwards that St. Cecilia was the first to invent playing on the organ, and in pictures she is generally seen with organ pipes in her hands. A splendid church which was built in her honor may be seen in Rome today, and in it is a beautiful statue in white marble of the saint as she lay when the executioner had done his work. After the death of Marcus Aurelius, his son, a very bad man, ruled for a few years and then was murdered. After this came another long time during which one emperor after another was set up by the legions. One of the great things which the early emperors had done was to strengthen the frontiers or boundaries of the empire to keep the barbarians out. Even in Britain we can still see the wall which Hadrian built between England and Scotland to keep out the barbarous Picts and Scots. But in the third hundred years after our Lord's birth, the barbarians were becoming too strong and were beginning to burst over the frontiers. Emperor after emperor themselves led the soldiers against them, but it was of no use. The emperor Diocletian chose another emperor to help him to govern, and two under-emperors who were called Caesars. 
the empire was for a time divided between these. It was under Diocletian that the last and most terrible persecution of the Christians took place. While the barbarians threatened the empire from outside, it was felt that the Christians were a danger inside, and thousands everywhere, but especially in Rome, were flung to the lions. St. Agnes, the patron saint of young girls, died in this persecution. The story is that she was a Roman girl thirteen years old and belonged to a noble family. A rich Roman who was not a Christian wanted her to marry his son, but she would not, and so he had her killed as a Christian. At first they tried to burn her, but the fire would not burn, so they took her outside the city and cut off her head. One of the two Caesars whom Diocletian had chosen to help him was Constantine, who afterwards became head of the whole empire and was called Constantine the Great. He was a handsome man and a fine soldier. Under him, a wonderful thing happened for the Christians. Constantine was fighting in a battle against a man who wanted to take part of the empire for himself. When he saw a great cross of fire in the sky, and across it was written the words, Under this standard thou shalt conquer. Constantine won the battle, and after that he said that the Christian religion should be the religion of the Roman people. So the great fight was won. Henceforward the Christians could not only worship freely, but people were encouraged to join them. In a very short time, the whole empire was Christian. When the barbarians broke in and swarmed over the empire, this is what they found. And they, in their turn, became Christians too. It seemed as though the way was suddenly made clear very wonderfully for the spread of the Christian religion. But it was the quiet work and prayer and the noble deaths of the martyrs which had prepared the way. End of chapter 15